in the books. These are our instant reactions to all 13 games that have been played as of this time. Daigle, Hayden, some teams separate themselves. 2-0. Some teams we think we know, but we have no idea. Hmm. And then there are others that are 0-2 and are lost at sea already. Um, Daigle, any overarching thoughts here? As we conclude week two, I still truly believe some teams, as we'll get into, are knocking the rust off. But if you are in the AFC and you're one of those teams, you can't wait too long because eventually you're going to look up and suddenly you can't even catch up. Yeah, I think AFC teams are either 0-6 or 0-7 versus NFC opponents so far this season. Unreal. It's a long season to go. It was a long day. Two overtime games ended long contests, and we'll kick off with both of those here. Seahawks versus Lions. Teams now one and one Hayden Winks as the Seattle Seahawks beat the Detroit Lions in a barn burner 37 to 31. Geno Smith was fantastic. Actually, both quarterbacks, if you're just looking at like consistent drop, uh, drop back passing games on time, this game was fantastic. Geno Smith missing both of his tackles was actually not under a lot of pressure. I think that the scheme helped out there was some uh, chip blocks from the tight ends i thought geno smith played on time he had to create enough when he needed to but ultimately refresh and it happens every single week geno smith 95th percentile completion percentage over expected basically doesn't miss any passes because of accuracy he had an 82 percent success rate on his passes to dk metcalf entire locket this thing was a absolute clinic from geno smith they were uh going back and forth on this Kenneth Walker. He converts two goal line touchdowns. He actually was the one that got hurt the most because of the offensive line. Uh, according to uh, pro football focus, uh, he had 42 yards after contact. He only had 43 actual rushing yards. So he had to earn every single one of those yards, but ends up checking out with two goal line touchdowns. But really the story here was Tyler Lockett. He draws a defensive pass interference in the end zone to set up one of those Kenneth Walker touchdowns. He has a red zone touchdown on this crossing route, contested catch on a play action across the field. And then he has a game winning touchdown, which was a little bit improvised out in the corner of this. I uh, didn't get that much from Jackson Smith and Jigway. He's still trying to figure things out. It was used underneath only, but really when you have DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett and they're winning consistently, this Seahawks offense is legit. I don't care if they uh, lost last week. So often Daigle, we see NFL offenses attacking the middle of the field right now. And those are the most efficient plays in this game. As you can see in this chart, Geno Smith was 19 of 22 for 189 yards and two touchdowns when targeting receivers outside the numbers. He did the difficult stuff last week, did difficult stuff today, and it worked out. And I'm so glad that we get some of that carryover from last season because, man, I would have hated to see the Seahawks team that we pumped up so much. And, you know, I still believe in for the long haul, despite the injuries that they're facing. Uh, now they're back on track at the very least at one and one. That includes his game winning touchdown and overtime to Tyler Lockett, too, because that was at the pylon and it was a beautiful touch inside the red zone. What an amazing pass. So, yes, it was definitely hopeful to see this offense find a way to hit their stride and still struggling under pressure. Also for Kenneth Walker. When you look at his final numbers and his box score, you have to also contribute that his first carry went for 14 yards and then everything else happened after that. So still a yeah. little bit concerning, but as Hayden said, two touchdowns will get us there. I will say Kenneth Walker had the most sick two-yard carries that you'll see. Just <laughs> always, dancing, just always yeah. doing something. You're like, wow, 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 and then ends up going for two yards. But like I said, he had to earn every single yard today. 
We are seeing a, still a, a, a vast difference between the Kenneth Walker usage and the Zach Charbonnet usage. Mm-hmm. KW3, 17 carries, 43 yards, two scores. Zach Charbonnet, 14 carries, 16 yards. Charbonnet did contribute two for 14 on two targets. Kenneth Walker still got two targets himself. Uh, Hayden, if you don't mind, I actually want to take that over into the conversation for the Detroit Lions on the opposite end because yep. after their Thursday night debut, what we saw from David Montgomery owning that backfield, what only eight touches coming from Jameer Gibbs. Today, somewhat of the same. Even after an injury, what, during the third quarter, David Montgomery goes 16 carries, 67 yards, and a score to Jameer Gibbs, seven carries for 17 yards. But obviously, Gibbs got way more involved in the passing game today. Nine targets, seven receptions for 39 yards. Yeah, Montgomery is on his way to having another RB1-like uh, usage and finish here. There was a early uh, series where the Lions had a third and five, and they ran the ball because they knew they were going to go for go for it on fourth down. They ended up converting that and setting up a David Montgomery touchdown he did have a fumble but David Montgomery more than looked the park and you can just tell that like this is what they want to do on offense be able to run the ball under center to set up all that play action Jared Goff looked pretty good I will say and this was a big thing after the game Dan Campbell blamed Jared Goff's interception on Jameer Gibbs what happened is uh Jameer Gibbs was kind of late uh he kind of had an option route like out in the flats once he got out there he was kind of running a little bit of an angle route. Jared Goff thought he was going to sit, but he was just taking too much time to actually make that decision, ultimately ending uh, Jared Goff's interception streak. Um, and Jameer Gibbs also had one of seven runs that were successful. A lot of them were to the outside. And once David Montgomery left, and David Montgomery is dealing with a, a thigh bruise injury, which sounds good, all things considered. We'll see if he's going to be able to play. Craig Reynolds was actually the early down grinder type so it wasn't that Gibbs got more usage on the ground what happened was Jameer Gibbs just ended up running more routes 23 of 39 which is is an improvement he did catch seven of his nine targets but it is a work in progress and you can tell that this offense has put Jameer Gibbs in a type cast and that is concerning because even with Montgomery out of the picture they did not use him up the middle and when they did do that it was just not successful and there was even an inside the 10 yard line series once David Montgomery left. And I mean, the expectation, not the, even the expectation, maybe the conclusion that many would make is, hey, you spent the number 12 overall pick on Jameer Gibbs. Okay. Wouldn't he just fill in there? No, Craig Reynolds was the back inside okay. of the 10 yard line. And Hayden, it goes back to not to continue to reiterate this. Even Nick Saban in college did not utilize Jameer Gibbs in those inside the 10-yard line between the tackles, tough yards that we've seen from Jamal Williams last year, that we've seen from David Montgomery this year. And I just highly doubt that if David Montgomery misses some time, that Gibbs just inherits that workload. I I think that they are very comfortable with their evaluation of Jameer Gibbs. And we saw some positives from that over the last two games, but it's not going to be a 70-plus percent grinder type it's just yeah. not at this moment yeah they're they they told us before the season they wanted that alvin Kamara rookie season we'll see if he can do that now for the rest of the past game offense amon Ross St. brown's an absolute baller like just kept winning over the middle of the field man coverage zone coverage didn't matter i will say he is dealing with i think maybe will be end up uh, a turf toe type of injury they put a steel plate in his uh shoe they were taping up his uh toe after he got tackled he was able to play through that but that's something to monitor and then besides him uh, Sam Laporta, 32 of 39 routes, which is a super rare for a rookie tight end. I think he's just going to be a borderline tight end. One guy with the lines projected for a lot of points, but really Josh Reynolds, man, 
touchdown for 22 yards out and then another touchdown from four yards out. And those were some good ass routes. He's their big play threat right now, 14 yards down the field. He's their true number two wide receiver. And if the Lions are projected to score 26 points and they ended up beating that this week and he's a full time player and he's making plays down the field, like why isn't Josh Reynolds like on the flex radar? Like I, I, I know nobody wants to admit it, but like sell me a reason why not. And he likely sticks around when Jamison Williams comes back. That's really what the question we're asking is. But in the meantime, I agree. Uh, He is someone, if you're dealing with injuries, you should plug and play and just don't ask questions. On the opposite, and just wrap this one up, Hayden, Jackson Smith and Jigba, here we are through two games. He certainly is not, you know, making good on the first overall rookie ADP that you drafted him as among wide receivers right. uh, this year in in best ball in the what end of the sixth round territories wide receiver 36. Today he played 40 of 71 snaps. That was more than any other tight end, but they did play 37 and 36 and 33, all the way from Will Disley to Kobe Parkinson yeah. and Noah Fant. Do we think that this is just easing a rookie in? Do we think that this has to do with the injury? Is it a total unknown? Or do we expect this to change in the near future? This is one where it's tough because I like JSN. I love Geno Smith. But the reality is the bar to get in the lineup over Tyre Lockett and DK Metcalf is extremely high. Like I think if we were actually ranking wide receivers just based off of their talent and what they bring to offenses, I think Lockett and Metcalf both might be top 20 wide receivers in the NFL. So JSN has to beat those guys on the outside until then he's just going to be a slot wide receiver. And I think the, the stat for today was 2.3 yards downfield. That was his average depth of target. So he's the underneath guy and DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. I know that they get sold as big play only guys, but go, I'll pull this up for stats versus film. Watch some of these routes that DK Metcalf was doing in overtime, like in breaking routes. Like, I mean, he's been absolutely routing people up. This isn't just like a big play threat only. So I think it's very difficult for JSN to like, you know, climb the ladder. Like, when do you think you're going to, uh, when that's when that gonna no, happen? I think I no, I, th- and- I think that's really fair. Hey, Dago, I did want to ask you this because we had a commenter after wide receiver rankings where I think Hayden might have put DK Metcalf as like number twelve wide receiver this week or something like that. I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, just trying to remember. And that person asked, "Well, what has DK Metcalf done to be even listed as a top two wide receiver, as a top twenty four wide receiver, or top twelve wide receiver?" When he finished last year as the twenty sixth wide receiver in points per game, and while six targets for seventy five yards is is good, we still haven't gotten you know top twelve wide receiver stuff out of him yet. You know. And where you're still living on a career high targets per game last year. When you ask what he's done, uh, our job is to project, to tell yes. you this will happen because everyone is experienced with Josh Jacobs. You don't get those fantasy points from last year. That's not how this game works. And so DK Metcalf, a career high in targets per game and led the league with four more, four more end zone targets than anyone else, but also had a career low and touchdown rate on those receptions. That's what he's done. We think he's going to regress. And I think it's still slowly happening. Like this JSN 65% route rate, we can't even take seriously because that's what DK Metcalf leaving for the game for a few possessions with an injury. So again, JSN is just not happening short term and that's okay. I don't think we should have expected him to happen short term. And last one on DK Metcalf, he got hit in the ribs and he was stuffed on the goal line by about this much. So like that red zone stuff, like this easily could have been 665 and a touchdown uh, we're just a couple inches short here. All right. Next one. Let's uh, go to a team that everyone hoped would be a bit different this year. But here we are once again at 0-2. Chargers versus Titans. Because yeah, after last week's 
Yeah, man. After last week's issues that the Chargers faced where, you know, it felt like they were in the game against the Miami Dolphins, but lost by two points here. They lose by three points to, let's say, the injured, maybe lowly Tennessee Titans, 27 to 24. Dago, what happened here? And because of last week, I also write points down now. And so I know the Chargers lost to the Titans 27 to 24. And we asked the question of what is this Chargers offense? After last week, we thought their intentful running offense was just an attack, a counterpunch against Vic Fangio. And what we found out is that in this game, a 70% pass play rate from neutral game script. Go back and at the very least, watch Justin Herbert's touchdown throw to Keenan Allen. Scrambling around, goes out to the flats on the left side, flag called, and yet still finds Keenan Allen who fights through holding in the back as well, defensive interference, and he throws the touchdown. Uh, and it was clicking. They were still going through the air and attacking this Titans defense that we know also allowed a ton of usage through the air in week one. But the defense is admittedly a problem. Tannehill did struggle under pressure, at least was under pressure as much as he was against the Saints. But this time, it worked a little better. Even hitting Traylon Burks in a 70-yard go route to set up first and goal from the five. And, of course, Derrick Henry then falls in for his touchdown. Uh, Titans today, their 24 points marked the first time a team has topped 20 points since its last win. 27-17, to 17, by the way. So, the Titans' last 20-point game was November 17th last year. That's how long it'd been. And now it's happened against the Chargers offense or Chargers defense. Fast forward, because with 222 left in the game, everyone thinks a Chargers game is coming, since every Chargers game, again, is the exact same. In the red zone, third down, Herbert sacked by Harold Landry, and then Cameron Dicker kicks the field goal. We're going into overtime. You wouldn't know it, but the Chargers won the coin toss in overtime and proceeded to go three and out. And oh. then, of course, the Titans march down the field and win this, ultimately win this game. And now Los Angeles is 0-2, which is their first winless start since 2017 under Anthony Lynn. It's kind of everything you expect, honestly, from a Chargers game and Ryan Tannehill bouncing back and not being that player who was just a completely different quarterback than his entire career as he was in week one. Okay, I, I have a lot of questions and maybe some comments, too, because everything that the people on the outside asked for from the Chargers seemed to happen in this game via Justin Herbert's arm. I mean, he pushed the ball down the field according to next year's stats more than he has since his rookie season. Averaged a 10.6 air yards per attempt. He was 6 of 15, 10 plus yards on the field for 126 yards and two touchdowns. We know the Titans defense is fantastic against the run. It was going to be without Austin Eckler. So that left Joshua Kelly, despite playing a ton of snaps, just for 13 carries for 39 yards. But Daigle on the opposite end, like, look, you have really good days from Keenan Allen. You have a good day from Mike Williams. You have a decent day from Justin Herbert. On the opposite end, I'm seeing just like a bunch of fine, like, Ryan Tannehill went 20 of 24, which is like efficient, but he took five sacks. Derrick Henry, 25 of 80 yards and a score. Traylon Burks had one catch for 70 yards, but really nothing else happened in the passing game. Like, how does a team, when they have so much more talent than the other one, continue to lose like this? It's impossible. It's a terrific question. And I just point to the Chargers defense since the Titans had – Five plays of 20-plus yards through the air in this game. There's no excuses there for the Chargers defense. That's like a, a 
Tegu has some drops behind. That's Brandon there's, Staley's yeah, there's a anger in the back going on and behind me. Yeah, we're just give you a few minutes. Yeah. Yeah, I just remember really disappointing. Joshua Kelly plays 80% of the snaps, does not get home at all. It's a talent issue. It's a defensive line issue. But really, like you said, the Chargers problem right now is just in their secondary. Like, it's not a good sign when Derwin James has 11 tackles, leads the team. That's a safety leading your team in tackles here. It's just the big plays that you saw from Traylon Burks, inconsistency, stopping the run against Derrick Henry. It wasn't like a lot of big plays. It was just consistent yardage. And even though Joey Bosa is a good game, like you said, Ryan Tannehill under pressure had five sacks this game. He's still 20 of 24 when he delivers the ball downfield. Like the Chargers have secondary communication issues. And I think it is a team that we should be targeting uh, through the air because I know the Chargers offense, like we saw, could win in multiple ways. Like they can run the ball down your throat. They can pass the ball. I think the Chargers offense is going to have top five touchdowns yeah. and yards this season. But their defense is just so bad right now in the secondary, even though they have a superstar in Durbin James. Yeah, th th this should not beat you. This should not beat you. And look, we've seen changes to the offense. They pushed the ball down the field. Last week, it was, you know, the most running back focused offense in the league, and they were super explosive. They can do it in multiple ways, yet the head coach is supposed to be a defensive genius. The head coach is supposed to be analytically minded and making right decisions on fourth down. I do not know what Brandon Staley is doing well right now or average right now because if this team was average in these facets of the game they would not be 0-2 mm -hmm. Ravens versus Bengals Ravens improved to 2-0 Cincinnati Bengals drop to 0-2 this game finished 27-24 to first we'll kick it off with the Ravens because this is the offense that we wanted to see just one opening touchdown drive last season it was in week four and they opened with one today. Seven different Baltimore Ravens had three-plus targets. Lamar Jackson also brought 12 carries for 54 yards to the table and some scintillating scrambles. He completed his first eight passes. Meanwhile, on the opposite end, this Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Zach Taylor offense was awful. Couldn't be further from good. A punt, punt, then punt return touchdown, Field goal interception were their first five drives, and that took us nearly all the way through to the third quarter. And by then, they were already down by 20 to 10. Burrow had just 84 passing yards in total. He finally did find a rhythm and scored two touchdowns to T. Higgins, but it wasn't enough. The Ravens' offense was totally humming. And then at the end, maybe worst-case scenario, despite being 0-2, Joe Burrow hobbles off with a notable limp told reporters afterwards that he'd seemingly re-aggravated that calf strain. And, man, I just have so many questions about this Bengals team that is supposed to be built this year. This is their window to win. T. Higgins might not be in the long-term plans. And you can't get things going with Joe Burrow for four quarters. You can't get anything going with Jamar Chase through two games. And just questions on that side. Meanwhile, I think we have a lot of answers on the Ravens' end. Super disappointing because the Ravens were without Marlon Humphrey, their best corner, and Marcus Williams, one of the better safeties in the league. So this really is, it's got to be calf-related to some degree, and I think that will be a storyline for sure going into this next week now that it flared up. Again, they're moving some guys on across the offensive line, but like I don't understand how Jamar Chase can only have 31 yards in this game, especially they're playing in garbage time. I know T Higgins got there. Ultimately, that's what regression does. 12 targets, eight receptions, but really it's just, it's unexcusable. I'm, I'm looking forward to watch this game. 
Is it as simple as still knocking the rust off, Josh? Is that literally what it is? <sighs> um, man, that's a good question. There, I, I, I look like Mike McDonald, who's I think a really good defensive coordinator and has handled Joe Burrow quite a quite well over the last two years. It was a lot of too high stuff, right? And so finally, this team got their mojo going over the middle of the field and, you know, moving safeties and, and working through them. There's another drive that, you know, they, they worked down the field and, you know, Burrow just forces it over top of Roquan Smith and a backup safety just drives in it. Like you said, Hayden, this shouldn't happen with a Marlon Humphrey less, um, uh, Marcus Williams less Ravens defense. Like, and the other part, like Joe Mixon did get 13 carries for 59 yards, but the Ravens were perfectly happy to allow the Bengals to run it whenever they wanted to. And because they could just stuff it with how good like Rokon Smith and their beefy defensive line is. So I don't know. Look, the Bengals were slow starters last year. I definitely don't want to write them off. We saw a huge flip for them in week six against the New Orleans Saints. But that was from like, hey, inefficient, inefficient deep shots to now facing the defense and quick firing. That quick fire stuff is not working as well. This year, so I don't know what the pivot is. I do not know what the counterpunch can be, and and that's worrisome because I don't think you go back to oh high variance. Let's bank on that again. You know? Yeah, I'm guessing they're going to have to try to run the ball a little bit more under center while they get Joe mixed uh, Joe Burrow back to full health. But yeah, it's it's their own too. Like like Daigle was saying at the top of the show, like the AFC is no joke. Like you guys got to figure this thing out. Especially the Ravens are two and zero on the other side in your own division. I think there are going to be lots of questions in the Ravens backfield. Uh, Justice Hill did start. He gets 11 carries for 41 yards. Uh, at halftime, it was 11 touches for Justice Hill to four for Gus Edwards. However, the first time inside the five-yard line and at the goal line, Justice Hill gets the first run. He gets stuffed at the one. And then Gus Edwards gets a second run, and he runs it in for the yep. score. Um, on top of that, Justice Hill gets three targets for 12 yards. Again, I'm, I am still of the belief that Justice Hill offers Todd Monken a bit more variance, some more excitement to his game, but they did incorporate some real north-south running from Gus Edwards. I think it's a bit of a tell when he's in there, but I mean, for a guy who, you know, has a 5.5 yards per carry average for his career, Harry goes for 6.2 and a touchdown. Like that hits home. That totally hits home. Yeah, uh, we did have Justice Hill running 27 routes on the 44 dropbacks. Uh, Gus Edwards was the north-south guy, but this offense has to be really good for both of them or either of them to matter. I think right now it's kind of like desperation flex territory now that we know that Gus Edwards uh, is too thick to not be involved at the goal line. Rashad Bateman also just continuously disappointing because this was a game that Odell Beckham, as you mentioned, also left early in and he, Bateman after running around on 59% of dropbacks in week one only reached 57% this mm. week. I don't know what the hell's going on, but he's clearly not fully healthy as the team suggested to start the year. Yeah. Josh, wasn't it like Nelson Aguilar and Devin Duvernay getting a lot of run here? I mean, okay. One Zay flowers ultimately end up playing the most snaps of this wide receiver unit. However, of like 70 something snaps that everyone played, he had around like 50. So that wasn't like there's these two full-time wide receivers out there. I think they like what they have in Devin, Devin Duvernay and packages they can have with him. Yeah. Um, Nelson Aguilar goes six, 63 and a touchdown. Like they have something there with him too, with a beautiful lob over his right shoulder that Lamar Jackson hit him on. And Aguilar was forced to catch it. So 
I don't think it's going to be these are our three stationary wide receivers and we move from there. They're going to rotate them maybe more often than not. And with Zay Flowers, right after that Burrow interception, it was a 60-yard bomb, a 52-yard bomb that was a, a beautiful throw uh, on his face mask and tight coverage down the field. And Zay Flowers goes up and gets it. Immediately after that, inside the 10-yard line, they go and manufacture two more touches for him when he's freaking mm. exhausted. But so other than that three-play sequence, he barely touched the ball for the entire game. So his involvement on like a series in series out standpoint, is still not sticky right now. Um, yeah. So just consider that when you are starting Zay flowers, if you are going to on a weekly basis. And finally, Mark Andrews, eight targets, five receptions, 45 yards and a score. He didn't look explosive, but man, where he was in the middle of the field and just sitting in soft areas and catching it on contact. That's what he did best. And it came up big today. 84% route rate as well. So back to full health, at least in terms of on-field usage, not as you mentioned, still trying to get back and knocking off the rust. Chiefs versus Jaguars. In the game that promised us the uh, biggest total of the weekend, ultimately gives us 26 combined points as the Kansas City Chiefs beat the Jacksonville Jaguars 17-9. to Let's start with the Jaguars because they had the worst game. And really what it was was just under pressure. And like we've talked about in the offseason, the Jacksonville Jaguars have one issue, and it is their pass protection right now is pretty suspect. And man, Chris Jones was dominant in this one. It was basically the only player that truly moved the needle for the Chiefs. He had uh, two sacks. He had five hurries. Trevor Lawrence faced 12 pressures throughout the game leading to 13th percentile EPA. Now, Trevor Lawrence did miss a couple uh, near touchdowns. Uh, Zay Jones couldn't get uh, in the, at the end. He had a little knee injury. And then Calvin Ridley, he also barely missed a touchdown as well. So it didn't go well for Trevor Lawrence. Really, I, I am going to be blaming the offensive line here. But the guy that did get home was Christian Kirk. And what happened was, it, the Jaguars were not able to throw the ball and complete passes down the field. Trevor Lawrence was definitely under pressure for a lot of the game. So they had a couple RPO passes to Christian Kirk, who also had a downfield shot that did get completed. So Christian Kirk comes back from the dead, has 14 targets in this game. The wow. caveats are that Zay was in and out of the lineup because of a knee injury. We'll see how bad that is. He did come back in the game later on. It wasn't that Christian Kirk was playing in more two wide receiver sets when all, everybody was active. I think they were just chasing points this whole time. And one of the easy buttons of this offense, because Chris Jones was creating so much pressure, was, hey, how about we throw the ball to Christian Kirk underneath a ton and hopefully he can make a couple plays after the catch. It's also been an area of the field the Chiefs have just struggled against. 123 receiving yards in week one to the Lions. Obviously, 110 here to Christian Kirk from the slot. Uh, something to note moving forward. And yeah, just to put context to Chris Jones' numbers, two sacks and five pressures as a limited player just coming off the bench. Like, my word. I think Zay Jones nearly had two touchdowns. Uh, yes. If it was college rules, he would have gotten two touchdowns, and that was on six targets. Then he got a goose egg from that. Sucks. Calvin really had an incredible sideline grab, but only finished eight targets, two receptions, 32 yards, as you said. Also one foot down in bounds and then hits his knee on the goalpost. Hopefully he's totally fine. And then Travis Etienne, just 12 carries for... 40 yards um, on the opposite end. Let me ask you about the chiefs. Hayden, we got Travis Kelsey back, but the guys who did not show up last week, 
seem to show up this week. Sky Moore finishes three receptions, 70 yards and a score. Kadarius Tony finishes five receptions for 35 yards to go along with a carry on top of that. Your thoughts on that group? So Sky Moore got to give him credit in the red zone, runs a real route and scores a touchdown. Like nothing designed. It was just up for Sky Moore on that touchdown. Now his big play came in on a scramble drill where Mahomes created a lot of time, found Sky Moore by himself downfield. Kadarius Tony was not a full-time participant. Uh, this was actually the routes here. MBS 42, Sky Moore 33, Justin Watson 29, Kadarius Tony 15, and then the rest of them were basically irrelevant. So we're getting closer to only four wide receivers truly mattering. In this offense, and I think that Kadarius Tony, he's dealing with a little bit of a football a foot injury. But whenever he's on the field, they're trying to give him the ball. And like he only ran 15 routes, but he got the ball in what like five or six of them. Lots of schemed up opportunities. He did have a fumble on a screen that went for a huge loss. He did have a negative A dot. So the Mickey Mouse type of routes here are what Kadarius Tony is running. But I do think that they're trying to get him more involved coming off that injury. Uh, there wasn't. I don't think Sky more like really impressed me aside from that touchdown. Uh, and to me, it was very clear that Travis Kelsey was not himself. Lots of covered, uh, contested catches. He had a, a touchdown drop. Uh, he did end up uh, having a touchdown on a scramble drill, but really not a great game for Patrick Mahomes. Uh, Jawan Taylor, their, their right tackle, he was benched. He had five penalties in this game. It was a revenge game for Jawan Taylor against the, the Jaguars. But it was just an up-and-down game, and they just really need Travis Kelsey to get fully healthy. I still wonder if... This is what the Chiefs offense is in 2023. Uh, that is actually a downgrade from last year, since at least Judas Schuster was serviceable when healthy. Um, Richie James, a muffed punt. Justin Watson fumbled in this game. Mahomes threw an interception. Kadarius Tony fumbled late in the third quarter as well. Uh, and now Mahomes has at least seven scrambles in back-to-back -back games. I wonder if this offense is Mahomes just being a magician and you can't actually sack him because he's that good at professional football and he just bides time until mm -hmm. someone gets open. I will say, if this is a stretch where they need to figure it out, Daigle, it's a pretty good stretch for that because they get the Chicago Bears next and they get the New York Jets after that, which is a tough defense, but that offense is going to like offer zero competition for you on the scoreboard and the Minnesota Vikings defense after that. So like we have seen over the last two years, ebbs and flows of this mm -hmm. chief's offense being awesome, but then also learning on the job a little bit. And this might be that stretch of the season. And yeah, Pacheco's getting a little bit healthier. Uh, they're trying to use him more. He handled 12 of 14 running back carries, but his struggles throughout his career with, you know, career being a year and two games has been that he can't earn targets. So still just 13 of 20 running back touches. McKinnon yet again is the third down running back. That's kind of just his role at this point. And they're, they're slowly sliding into their roles. Yeah. Early on in this game, the first 15 plays, it was 14 dropbacks, one run for the chiefs. So they've basically abandoned this. And when I was doing that breakdown with Steve Smith last week, we were going crazy over all the third and one third and two plays. None of them were under center traditional runs. Like they are basically giving up on the ground game. All of those Pacheco carries happened to be late in the game when the Jaguars weren't really doing all that much. CH mixed in late in the game as well, just when they were trying to get anything going. But I think ultimately it'll be, MVS and Justin Watson running the deep routes. They'll try to get Sky Moore to, to develop here. And same thing with Kadarius Tony. I think the, the Rasheed Rice, Justin Ross, Richie James guys, I think they're going to be removed from the offense. They're going to focus on these four wide receivers. Final question of the Jaguars. I see Dearness Johnson's name on the box score, and I don't see Tank Bigsby's name in the box score. What happened? Tank, Bigs Tank Bigsby played only 12 snaps. Uh, Dearness Johnson was right around there as well. Six snaps, so 
yeah, they just were phasing uh, Tank Bigsby a little bit out of the game. Uh, not a whole lot of running lanes for the yeah. Jaguars. The, like ETN only got 12 carries. So I think like Tank Bigsby will get his if the offense is moving. If they're not, then they're not going to get him on the field because I don't think that they fully trust him. Bears versus Buccaneers. That's John Daigle. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers improve to 2-0. Granted, they face the Chicago Bears and the Minnesota Vikings, while the Bears do drop to 0-2. Before you go on, Daigle, I just want to say, one of my calls this summer was fading the Bucs without Tom Brady, now going to Baker Mayfield. Um, I will probably eat that throughout the season because this guy, Dave Canellis, as an offensive coordinator, pretty much looks like the real deal. And that means Baker Mayfield finishes today 26 of 34 for 317 yards and a touchdown. And 292 yards of offense in the first half. You wouldn't know it since they were pretty much struggling with turnovers here. Um, Let's just start from the very beginning because I found it interesting that Chase Edmonds was involved on the first drive with Rashad White. But then early in the game, Chase Edmonds left injured. And then it became all Rashad White. It's funny because Sean Tucker's profile as an athlete, athletic profile coming out of college was that he earns targets. And yet he doesn't have a catch through two games in the NFL. And it's still Rashad White who handles everything. Nonetheless, you go to the very first drive of the Bears. Remember, last week, the Bears and the Falcons were the only two offenses who averaged their targeted their running backs at over a 40% target rate. For reference, the Chargers led the league at a 26% backfield target rate. It wasn't going to sustain. And immediately, Justin Fields' first three targets, the very first drive, all go to DJ Moore, including a 33-yard catch and a 31-yard catch to bring them down to the six-yard line as well. We also know for the Bears, Deontay Foreman, healthy scratched in favor of Travis Homer, who plays special teams. Foreman does not. And so we got a combination. uh, Khalil Herbert, seven carries. Roshan, four carries. Roshan did have a 29-yard run, which was the team's only explosive run since the Bucks actually contained Justin Fields. That was the plan here. Four carries for Fields altogether. Uh, a great defensive plan as well. After they played run defense really well, well, I guess everyone's going to play run defense against the Vikings really well, but they still, they still contained the Vikings in week one, whatever that's worth. But... Still, fast forward to the very end, and that's what we're trying to ask. We're asking if Justin Fields is going to continue to develop, not only for fantasy, but for his own franchise that continues trading picks and trying to back him up and support him. And we see that with less, with just two minutes remaining, two or three left in the final corner, the Bears have it inside their own five-yard line. They're trying to driving to bring themselves back. And, of course, sloppy pass. Shaq Barrett reaches out and picks six to end the game and put the Bucks up 10 at that point. And that's kind of the whole theory right now is can Justin Fields get past those moments? But for right now, you're right. It's another win for this frisky Bucks offense. Yep. Frisky Baker Mayfield, who has at least six carries in back-to-back game now as well, and uh, just continues to find Mike Evans. Yeah. Hayden, let's table the Justin Fields conversation for just a moment and speak about Mm -hmm. the positives. Baker Mayfield finished this game 14 of 17 for 223 yards and a touchdown under pressure. Tied for the most passing yards under pressure in a game over the last four seasons. This is not the Baker Mayfield that I know. Now, I want to say, again, Dave Canellis was Geno Smith's offensive coordinator, excuse me, quarterback's coach last year with the Seattle Seahawks. Maybe... Maybe that has something to do with it. Also, maybe it's the defenses. But this is 
incredible stuff. Like I want to dive into every single one of these play calls, how they're drawing it up, because even that long touch or that, that long conversion to Mike Evans was on a third down. It was against pressure. Typically Baker Mayfield is one of the worst quarterbacks against pressure in the league. And something has changed here. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's having a competent offensive line. Maybe it's having these pass catchers and Mike Evans and Chris Godwin have been doing it for a very long time, but I'm here for it. Yeah, I'm here for it as well. We need to do a deep dive into the Bucks uh, scheme, but also like Mike Evans, he has juice right now. Like that was very evident last game. I mean, we would be talking about Mike Evans as the league winner so far right now. If he didn't drop that touchdown last week, he gets deep a couple times on this one as well. If you just like watch him, he is really striding this thing out. He does not look like one of these old wide receivers. And the training camp reports were very positive about Mike Evans. They called it the best training camp in preseason of his career. We ignored it because we didn't want to believe in this, but the signs were here that Baker Mayfield and this Dave Canales guy are going to be calling in a very pass heavy offense here. And if Mike Evans has some juice, I'm not afraid to rank him very high in the rankings. And third in receiving yards, by the way, Daigle, prior to Sunday Night Football, third overall. And today was eight targets, six receptions, 171 yards and a touchdown. And it's team highs and target share on an A dot over 13. Like these aren't little dink and dunk like last mm-hmm. year from Tom Brady getting the ball out quick. This is, de- like you said, Josh, a developed offensive game plan, uh, getting players targets and downfield targets at that kind of volume. That is fantasy football. That's literally what we're chasing here. He actually yeah. has just four more targets than Chris Godwin on the season, but he's doubled them in fantasy points because of where he gets his targets. Yeah, listen, I'm not going to, try to be some expert on first year play callers that I don't know anything about. And if that's why I whiff on this offense, because Dave Canales might be a head coach next year. Um, I'm okay with, with eating that. Okay. On the bears end, I was not wrong about this. Uh, Justin Fields, 16 of 29, 211 yards, two interceptions, takes six sacks, has two fumbles, doesn't lose any of them, but he has a tendency that is not going away. Again, it's this innate, downfall where he lets bad plays turn into awful plays. And Daigle, didn't we see it over and over and over again today? Like Todd Bowles is a really good defensive coordinator. The bears are missing some offensive linemen, but it's like Justin Fields can't get out of his way. And the team already had a chance to move on from him last year. And it just seems like we can say Justin Fields is having a bad game. We can say that the play calling probably isn't right. We can say the team building isn't right. And all three are correct. And the turnovers were sloppy. A couple very good plays now. Um, Weaving in between a couple defenders, finding Chase Claypool deep in the second half as well. You'll have to go back and watch that throw. But overall, yes, that's the problem. His interceptions have been the ugliest part. And uh, that's why we can't really defend him at this moment. Also in this game, Darnell Mooney left late yet again, which is why Chase Claypool popped up. I think the most confusing usage was that Cole Komet was one of only three tight ends to run a route on 90% of dropbacks in week one. And this game, 62% route rate. Um, more usage for their wide receivers and running backs overall, as opposed to Komet, who, of course, they gave that massive extension to before the year for whatever reason. And Hayden, we get it during our Sunday morning Q&A show. Like when people hear, oh, Roshan Johnson has now eclipsed Deontay Foreman. Like, oh, maybe I should think about putting him in, in our lineup. The Bears just aren't going to score a bunch of points every single week. Mm-hmm. And it's a split backfield. Like what, while you might be excited about the individual talent, you have to understand the context of where the player fits on the team and how much that team utilized that position. And they combined for 67 rushing yards today. 
Yeah, it's just it's a team competing for the first overall pick next year. Like that's just the reality. The Bears are horrific on offense and defense right now. That's just the reality. It's actually incredible because it is somewhat it doesn't sound good to say after the Seahawks put up 37 on them, but the Lions are still translating. Like Anzalone, Brian Branch, um, you know, the 24 and a half million guarantee they sunk into two cover corners. It's actually translating to the field. The Bears spent the most money on defense in cap space during the offseason, and it's not showing whatsoever. Mm-hmm. It's consistent secondary breakdowns, not putting pressure on the opposing quarterback. Like it looks really bad, this product right now. Uh, as for the Bears, next week they <laughs> face the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. Oh, and the- no. And the Bucs get their best opportunity. Uh, they face the Philadelphia Eagles. So that's a really good test for a two. Yeah, and the, o. the way Jalen Hurts is playing, it actually is a good test. Yeah. 49ers versus Rams. 49ers win this one, improve to 2 and 0, 30 to 23, which, by the way, time expiring, about a 40 yard field goal. Love this. Sean McVay elects oh, yeah. down 10 to kick a field goal to cover the seven and a half instead mm-hmm. of trying to throw a Hail Mary for a touchdown on my radar a little bit. Um, but as for the players actually on the field, I think San Francisco was very much like the typical 49ers you would expect to see. It wasn't a dominant victory like we saw last week against the Pittsburgh Steelers, but Brock Purdy goes 17 of 25 for 206 yards uh, just before halftime. In previous years, we've seen Kyle Shanahan be a bit more shy and subdued and going forward on fourth downs. It was third and goal from the one-yard line with one second left after an incompletion prior to that. So rather than kicking the field goal to you know, have it be, uh, let's say, I don't know, 13 to 17 going into halftime, something like that, um, it's a quarterback sneak, and Brock Purdy gets it. And that showed, you know, some onions heading into halftime. Chris McCaffrey reels off a 51-yard run, adds 20 carries for 116 yards. We got typical Debo Samuel vintage stuff with a 63-yard game from him on nine targets to go along with a five-carry, 38-yard, one-touchdown game. But really, the conversation might still be with the Los Angeles Rams. Um, Hell yeah. Matthew Stafford is still balling out and he lifted and carried this team for a large portion of it. 34 attempts, excuse me, 34 completions on 55 attempts, 307 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. And yeah, one of those interceptions kind of sealed the game at the end when Van Jefferson drifted his route down the field. But the two players that three players really at the center of it, Puka Nakua, now NFL record through the first two games of his career with the most receptions in NFL history, adding 20 targets, 15 receptions, 147 yards today. Tutu Atwell, nine targets, seven receptions, 77 yards. And with Cam Akers as a healthy scratch, Kyrie Williams goes out there and adds 14 carries, 52 yards, one rushing touchdown, and gets another receiving touchdown to go along with six catches, 48 yards on top of that. These are young Rams skill position players on top of an elderly yet de-aging Matthew Stafford. And it's one of the most fun offenses to watch in the NFL. Kyron Williams, 74 of 77 offensive snaps as well. Uh, Look at your model, Hayden, and tell me what that says about him (laughs) next week. Well, the model is telling me that the Cam Akers trade allegations, I think, are pretty serious. Um, I'm sure you had another 
meltdown here. So yeah, it's Kyron Williams. He'll be, I, I think, right in the RB2 mix. Certainly, I don't see his role really going anywhere. I think that the Sean McVay's found the guys that are going to be part of the offense, like for real, like Tyler Higby and Van Jefferson are like, I guess, part of the offense. But really, it's all Puka, Matthew Stafford, Kyron Williams, and then Tutu Atwell schemed up. So, Diego, I was just going to ask you real quick, because I know you were really high on Puka Nakua. Could you just like, where was square one for Puka Nakua? Why were you on him like early on this offseason? He led this class and target per route run rate in 2022. Uh, and yes, it's a gimmicky offense at BYU, but it kind of starts there. Can you earn targets? And what's fun about him is that even when you watch him catch passes, he's bigger than NFL cornerbacks. Like his size yeah. actually translates to the next level. So you have a guy who can earn targets. You have a guy who ran for 350 yards and 50 touchdowns across his last two years in college. And he's bigger than NFL linebackers. Okay, sign me up. Where do we go? Yeah. Hayden, I know you've already tweeted out, so it's binding that you and Steve Smith are going to watch Puka Nakua, maybe Tutu Atwell this week, because yep. you couldn't get kind of two different profiles of bodies that are also really contributing to this team. The mm -hmm. thing that's really impressing me with Puka Nakua is we've seen him versus man and versus zone, and the 49ers threw both out this week, right? Against man, he knows that, hey, I need to keep running in my route, and Matthew Stafford and him are already on the same connection of, okay, I want to hit you on the first window, but I can hit you on the second and third windows, and we're, we're Gucci there. Um, against zone, he'll sit like a veteran, like a five-year veteran on a second contract in the league, and again, Matthew Stafford already has this like connection with him that they're on the same page with all of that. That is so tough to find with that winning both in man and in zone as a fifth round rookie already in the NFL. And he's showing it. Plus, as you said, he's big. He absorbs contact. Not going to be explosive after the catch, but he'll win a little bit and pick up a few extra yards for you. Yeah, we're going to see the Rams be right up there in, when it comes to leading the league in pass attempts this year. So I think that Puka's here to stay, even if Cooper Cup comes back on week five, which is the, the target date. He's in the Robert Woods role. You see it like yes. if you pull that that uh, route tree up again, you can see how condensed his routes are to the offensive line. That's where Robert Woods was down and getting dirty, and he's very physical in ways that Robert Woods was as well, but maybe there's a little bit more to his game than what Robert Woods was able to provide in fantasy, but I will be ranking Puka Nakua extremely high. Stay tuned for that Steve Smith breakdown. Can't wait to go over him. Maybe it's a lie since we're only two games of the year, but through two games, Matthew Stafford has not been sacked. That is so important. Today. And uh, I saw no today. sacks, Josh. No, right, he was, well, he was, he was sacked towards the end of the uh, end that of the out. Today. No, 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 you're good. Because I think through three quarters, he he was not, but they did finally get him towards towards the end of this game. The offensive line, to your point, Daigle, is like playing a lot better. They had to yeah. lose Joe Noteboom. Some other guy came in, so there's a bit of a rotation. I don't think they're very There's deep. a lot of some other guys right now. Yeah. Like Sean McVay right now is probably going to be running away with coach you, of the year, possibly. You know what? I think that's an awesome point because all that we heard for years, it was Sean McVay and his guys. It was his core group, and we're going to continue to keep doing what we're doing. And all that we got from Sean McVay this summer is I'm going to fire my entire coaching staff. One of them was my friend. <laughs> and it sucks when coaches get fired, yet it's obviously working. Like he looked in the mirror and said, okay, am I really going to run this back with basically three players? And Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup, and Aaron Donald. I am, and I'm going to coach my ass off. And he is coaching his ass off this year. And, and you said it already, Josh, but 
Dude, when you watch these slates of games, we all have, you know, quad box going on yeah. and watching every game at once. When you watch Matthew Stafford right now compared to other NFL quarterbacks, that's vintage Matthew Stafford. Like that's, and he's he's on the move. There was a fr- it's so Steve Wilkes, It's so Steve much fun. Was a spamming a nickel blitz, right? And it was free rushers at times. Matthew Stafford was staring it down, evading this guy who's probably ten years younger than him, and then sidearming it over to Kyron Williams, who is also part of this mind meld. Like, look, Kyron Williams is never going to be one of the most explosive players in the league. He's not probably going to reel off 30, 40, 50 yard runs, but he is super tough. He is awesome in pass protection. And in the passing game, he gets 10 targets today for six receptions for 48 yards. Like Laura Oakman said that the reason that Cam Akers is basically not on this roster right now is that he did not abide by the culture that the Rams have set out. It's pretty Mm -hmm. clear that this team's running back one moving forward is Kyron Williams. And if you're in PPR, you definitely play him. The next four games at the Bengals, which I think the Bengals defense is gettable at the Colts, gettable defense. Eagles don't look the same. And then the Arizona Cardinals next four weeks, these guys are legit. I I also did not, lose confidence in Brock Purdy in this game. Um, a no. couple big missed throws, yep. but the same thing he's done throughout his career, he showed us so far, is still making big plays like under pressure. Yeah, I think that I think that's a great point. He missed Debo for a touchdown on a fourth and seven. Uh, he missed Juwan Jennings on a deep end on a third and long. He missed Brandon Ayuk for a touchdown earlier. Then he bounced back. It was Debo pass on the helmet to Juwan Jennings for a 1v1 down the field too. I will add just a final note here. Uh, Brandon Ayuk had some difficult catches early on, kind of got drilled down to the ground, landed on top of, exited for a bit of time, did come back in, but um, was not a 100% snap player. Uh, hopefully he is, you know, full health moving forward. There's nothing wrong about him, but as we said, that this was going to be a, you know, Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel type game. And speaking of 100% players... Yes. We are now two weeks into McCaffrey's usage after an entire offseason of this organization telling us they're going to do whatever they can to keep him healthy. Week one, 83% of backfield touches, which was his highest touch share in any game with Elijah Mitchell last year. Week two against the Rams, 100% of running back touches. This guy is competing with Justin Jefferson for the clear 101 right now. Have you ever been on vacation? After a long day of activities or sightseeing, you have a night in. Room service, bathrobes, and television or movies. And when you're in a foreign country, you scroll Netflix or Hulu or whatever streaming service you have. And you realize that the library of content there is so much larger than it is in the United States. You start a new show, a new series. And when you get back home, you realize you now have to find that on a different service or pay for it in a different way. That is where Surfshark comes in. It's a VPN service that lets you virtually travel the world with a tap of a finger. You can go to Spain, Canada, Costa Rica to watch the content available in those countries. So you can try Surfshark today, totally risk-free with a 30-day money-back guarantee. And get Surfshark VPN at surfshark.deals slash underdog or enter promo code underdog for three extra months for free. You heard me right. Three extra months for free. That is surfshark.deals slash underdog. Packers versus Falcons. Taking a 24 to 12 point lead. 
the Packers blow this one away with a 13-point fourth quarter for your 2-0 and Atlanta Falcons. Yeah, let's start with Jordan Love. I thought he played fairly well here through three interceptions. He had a big scramble as well, but the ground game was just erased here. Uh, once again, A.J. Dillon, 15 carries for 55 yards. They didn't really mix in any of their other running backs, but they just did not get the big plays from Romeo Dobbs. They did not get Luke Musgrave going. And the real the reality is when you play the Atlanta Falcons, it's just tough to have the ball. The Falcons ran the ball 45 times. The, the Packers ran 46 plays on offense. I mean, that's the difference. You have 46 plays on offense. Where's where are you gonna get your fantasy points from? So, like, luckily, Jaden Reed gets two touchdowns. Jaden Reed remained in the slot, but they did get him going on his score. There's kind of like a little chip and release for a touchdown. They had this little pop pass where Jordan Love gets some fantasy points, but really was just kind of a jet sweep look. Uh, Jaden Reed, 18 of 29 routes, but uh, nobody else was able to get there because the Atlanta Falcons had the ball basically this entire game. Wow. And I think Arthur Smith had the gonads to make the call on the Green Bay 23-yard line with just over two minutes left, trailing 24 to 22, uh, converts a fourth and one, according to Next Gen mm-hmm. Stats, that increased the team's chances of winning by 6.5%. They went for it on fourth down five times mm-hmm. in the game. Yeah, Five times. Just- they had the ground game going shocker again. Bijan Robinson, 19 carries for 124 uh, yards. He was the player of the game. But I will give a lot of credit to Drake London here. Catches six of his seven targets for 67 yards in a touchdown. A lot of those were hard-earned targets. Uh, a couple of them down the field. So that was a good thing to get Drake London going. It actually was a, a sign to me. The first snap of the game was a screen pass to Drake London. So even though Arthur Smith says it publicly, and I think honestly, I think Arthur Smith trolls us in the press conferences because he doesn't like the media. Uh, he says like, oh, Drake London doesn't care about that. The first play of the game oh, really screen pass to Drake London. So yeah, we know what Arthur Smith's doing, but it was another ground and pound game for the Atlanta Falcons who are 2-0. and I didn't think that Desmond Ritter looked all that good. Pretty uh, bad interception kind of got hit uh, while he was releasing it, but avoided some some sacks. And the opportunities there when Bijan Robinson's winning after the uh, after contact and Drake London's winning his one on ones. Bijan, twenty three touches for mm-hmm. one hundred and seventy two yards. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. It looked it looked like that. He had his his explosiveness paired with what the Falcons can do schematically in the ground game will lead to some of these special games. So uh, Bijan Robinson also was involved at the goal line for a, a opportunity, got stuffed after he got stuffed. In comes Tyler Algier. Uh, Desmond Ritter tries to throw the ball to Kyle Pitts seemingly like five times in the red zone. None of them go for a touchdown. It's the Julio Jones curse. What could you do there? Um, so yeah, it's, the Falcons aren't going to change. Like this is the way that they're going to win games. I just want to make reiterate that point though. When you're playing the Atlanta Falcons, they used to be a, a defense that we would target. They've upgraded their defense based off of their personnel. And now with these two running backs and this offensive line, it is hard to have much passing volume, rushing volume against the Atlanta Falcons. So I think that if we're looking at previous year's data, I would be viewing the Falcons kind of as a tough defense for fantasy. Bijan now with a 75% route rate in back-to-back games. So that already gives him a high floor as a pass-catching running back. But then to take more of the rushing share from Algier in this game, that's kind of what we're looking for. And even when you watch him, he seems inevitable. 
Like every single time he touches the ball, it's like that could have gone for 30 more yards. That could have gone for 20. He's still like figuring out NFL tackles. And when he learns to break them even more than he's already doing so, it's going to be so special to see. Uh, Having said that, Josh, I am in line with you that I still consider Algier like an RB3 because you can't necessarily take him off the field. He still is also really good, even though he's kind of getting Roshaned right now and that he's playing behind a generational player. I think you can take AJ Dillon off the field. Uh, Unfortunately, the Packers could not today. I mean, he goes 15 carries for 55 yards. I'm sure he's a wonderful person. But Hayden, just watching him, he's one of my least favorite players to watch in the NFL right now. Yeah. There was a couple of plays where he got his pad levels down and was absolutely thumping dudes. But there was also a lot of plays where it's out in space and Jess is stumbling. And Matt LaFleur, after the game, acknowledged that, that, hey, he had he broke a couple of tackles, like earned some tough yards. But there was also too many plays where he's just slipping and sliding. It's hard to move those tree trunks. So there's a reason yeah. trees are planted in the ground. I I say that to myself every time I look in the mirror and try to work out. Just can't move mm-hmm. these tree trunks. Uh, I think Jordan Love is the only quarterback through two weeks that has thrown three touchdown passes in each of those. He's a QB2 in fantasy right now. Wow. And one I don't know how. This, though. One of, oh, one of those push touchdowns. Pass. Little, I mean, hey, we give him credit. Patrick Mahomes gets push passes too. Yeah. That's sure. Matt LaFleur. That's okay. Sure. He's still playing under Matt LaFleur. That's okay. Big screen. Uh, uh, and okay. Jaden, I think Jaden Reed, Josh, 32% target share is yeah. like super important to note. Yeah. yeah. I mean, four receptions, eight targets, 37 yards, two touchdowns. So I think he looks more explosive than like his four, five, three, 40 or whatever yeah. it was. Like he, he is their explosive player. He's right their now movement guy right now. Yep. Yeah. The movement guy. Yep. And I'm sure that'll come back to, uh, to Christian Watson once he returns, but man, I don't know this, this Packers team, they are still like have a little piece of my heart. I'll tell you, like it's young. They're interesting. They do get the saints and the lions over the next two games. Jets versus Cowboys. I don't know what you expect to learn from this game because it went about as you expected. Uh, if it weren't for Garrett Wilson having over a 60-yard touchdown, like I don't even know what his receiving lie would have been because the Jets were just led by Zach Wilson. I think it's as simple as that, honestly. Um, last week, I was concerned because Aaron Rodgers was injured on the first drive, and that team still ran only 15 dropbacks. Like, they were trying to hide Zach Wilson, but they had no choice to come out and put him in front of this menacing Cowboys defense on a short week, on a short turnaround, and it went exactly as you expected this game was put away early I think more importantly for me is that I had questions about Dak Prescott and the Cowboys offense and it was still very run heavy we still have the primetime games to go but at least early on a top five offense and run play around early downs the first three quarters which shows an offense's intent but whenever you have Micah Parsons who does not get talked about like J.J. Watt in his prime, but very much should be because he literally changes your defense and your team single-handedly. He changes your offense by playing defense. That's how good he is. Then it doesn't matter what else you do. And yet again, he was doing that same thing. There was a point in this game where broke through a tackle on the opposite side, pressured Zach Wilson on the other side of the field. Zach Wilson throws his third interception of the game. Like I felt like they should have just thrown a fade to Micah at that time just to get him more involved because that's how good he is. Uh, and that's what it is at the end of the day. This offense runs through CeeDee Lamb, Tony Pollard, and Jake Ferguson. And Dak Prescott, after finishing dead last and next-gen stats, completion rate over expected in week one, was significantly better against a very, very tough Jets defense, and the Cowboys just rolled. 
Cowboys 83 offensive plays, the Jets 46. <laughs> I mean, we're playing two different sports here for all the reasons that they go outlined. I will say, CeeDee Lamb, getting him in the slot away from Sauce Gardner certainly helps. They're basically putting Michael Gallup in like the most impossible role ever, and Jalen Tolbert's not going to be Brandon Cooks. So if Brandon Cooks is going to be missing some time here, I do think that CeeDee Lamb's just going to be eating down in the slot. And then, I mean, Tony Pollard, what, 33 opportunities? That's got to be a Ooh. career high or close to it? I mean, yeah. It has to be. It has to be. Um, few notes here. The people out there with Garrett Wilson, I think this is the path that you're going to have to ride. Yes, in your league and whatever points are scored and how it is in your fantasy football matchup, he gets eight targets. He finishes with a touchdown on 83 yards. But if you actually watch, it's going to be tough sledding because unless he can break a 60-yard after-the-catch play every single week, I just do not know how this is sustainable. I understand that they're not playing playing the Dallas Cowboys defense every single week, but this is still who Zach Wilson is. And yes, that was off play action, and he knew exactly where Garrett Wilson was going to be, and he just ripped it over without even looking at it. And Garrett Wilson is a freak, so there's going to be at times where he outscores his expected fantasy points certain times this season. But again, I want to reiterate, if you watch this game, Zach Wilson is the same dude, this is the roller coaster you're going to have to ride, and it's why it's going to be tough to rank him as a top 24 wide receiver, despite him being a top 12 talent in the NFL. I moved him to wide receiver three rest of season. I understand we're playing a week-to-week game now, so that may change week-to-week, but you can't view him as anything more. He's basically become better George Pickens, and that you're hoping for a highlight real catch, and if you don't get that, you probably aren't getting fantasy points. What what happened with the with the ground game here for the Jets? I mean, we're, Dalvin Cook it, is so bad, Hayden. Uh, yeah. He he now has 17 carries through two games, and he's rushed for 40 yards. Uh, and Brees Hall Brees Hall came out after the game, and he was asked about it, and he said that he just didn't appreciate the team's usage on the ground. Um, it's also because you know he they took him. They basically had to take him off the field because they were trailing by so much so early. But to still give those garbage time carries, since this is a precautionary move, you would think so. Because every touch to Dalvin Cook is a wasted touch. You just can't compete when you're doing that. Um, I don't know how long it's going to be for Brees Hall until they, since they are playing a long-term game plan. And you would imagine it's very early in the season, but you would think they understand like the long-term plan still has to be in place with Zach Wilson now. So I don't know what's going to happen to Brees Hall. But yet again, Brees Hall... Got out-touched by Dalvin Cook, and I don't know when that stops. It's kind of as simple as that. Colts versus Texans. Colts improved to 1-1. One one. Texans dropped to 0-2 in this 31-20 victory. It was the Anthony Richardson show to open this game. 63 rushing yards and two touchdowns with about six minutes into the game. I mean, the Colts, though, did open with a ton of passes. Pass, 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 run. And then Anthony Richardson, run, pass. Anyways, you get the picture. Uh, It was a beautiful quarterback draw for the initial touchdown. After a C.J. Stroud fumble, which I believe it was, there was this beautiful play call by Shane Sykin that honestly exudes Cam Newton MVP-level stuff with the Carolina Panthers, where it's Josh Downs working in motion across the formation, which pulls D'Amico's Ryan's defense very much across the field and a little spin out here from Anthony Richardson with Kylan Granson working as a lead blocker just against number 24. And if that's your matchup with the most athletic quarterback of all time entering the NFL, 
you fall into the end zone. However, as soon as Anthony Richardson fell into the end zone on that play, he smashes the back of his head. Probably self-reports, I think it has come out. Yes. And now he missed the rest of the game with a concussion. So that brings us to Gardner Minshew, who finishes 19 of 23 for 171 yards and one touchdown in a very different offense than we saw with the one with Anthony Richardson on the field, which I think greatly highlights how good Shane Steichen here is at, you know, generating what this team can do offensively because everything was much closer to the line of scrimmage. Michael Pittman sat down in his a dot last year with the Matt Ryans and the Nick Foles of the world, but even he finishes with 12 targets, eight receptions for 56 yards. This is a complete performance by the Colts. Hopefully Anthony Richardson is back, but man, what we are already seeing for this team is great coaching and enough talent at the very least with Zach Moss returning for 18 carries, 88 yards, one touchdown playing 98 percent of the snaps they got something good cooking yeah i i love this offense uh because the explosive ability but also how aggressive they are in every single category fourth downs uh, neutral pace neutral pass rate all that fun stuff we saw with anthony richardson early on the game but like it's just condensed man michael Pittman, 12 targets and they were winning this game 28 to 10 going into halftime he still gets 12 targets and like you said zach moss absolutely dust Deion jackson had a bad performance last game zach moss i think is going to ha- be fantasy relevant because he's going to be a bell cow i don't expect jonathan taylor to return uh for a couple weeks now and he could easily get traded but zach moss man if he's gonna get that kind of usage and they're gonna play with this type of pace like i i don't see how he's not going to be kind of in that rb2 mix as well you wouldn't think so but kylan granson has been the tight end 14 and tight end eight in two huh. weeks in fantasy football right now uh he's very clearly the one player they are leaning on at that position for deeper leagues as well the Zach Moss stuff is interesting because I can't point to like one great individual play that he made. He is one of those types of runners that when he sees a defender, he's going to run right at him because he just mm-hmm. loves contact. Uh, his touchdown run was nice. I believe it was of uh, 11 yards. But again, I would say that one of the biggest matchups of this game mismatches was the Colts offensive line versus the Texans defensive front. This is probably one of the better Colts offensive line groupings that we've seen over the past two seasons. And on top of that, a lot of Zach Moss's production was with Gardner Minshew. It wasn't even with the rushing threat in the backfield with Anthony Richardson. Um, we do need to talk about the Texans and what they showed offensively because in the end, CJ Stroud goes 30 of 47, 384 with two touchdowns. He does take two six sacks. Um, no Larry Mutunzel in this game. Josh Jones, who they trade for just for the season, starts at left tackle. And on Damian Pierce's first carry of the game, he gets hit five yards in the backfield. And like you immediately know that this is going to be a long outing. Uh, to be honest with you, a lot of like the Tank Dell and even CJ Stroud performances at the end happened when they were down like 31 to 13. That's not to say that they were bad throughout the game. In fact, the Stroud to Nico Collins over the middle of the field stuff inside breaking routes is pure money. Like when the Colts are showing zero looks. Texans offense would pick it up and Stroud would just hit him over the middle of the field on the body, on the break. And it was really good stuff. I mean, Stroud, for his credit, he's getting hit a lot in these first two games and he's popping back up. And in these, you know, garbage time situations, he's still putting up some points. So look, if this offensive line at some point can get a couple starters back and they can remain competitive throughout a game, I do have moderate hopes for this Texans offense. If CJ Stroud is looking good out there we have to have a serious nico collins discussion here's his targets 
uh, in his last six games here. Uh, six targets in or the last six games for Nico Collins, 10 targets, seven targets, nine targets, 10 targets, 11 targets in week one and nine targets in this one again. And guess what? His targets are not the underneath garbage uh, little no. targets. These are real ass targets down the field. And Nico Collins was one of these guys that just needed some development, but he has the athleticism. He has the five-star five pedigree that he could be somebody that actually is a difference maker. CJ Stroud is going to be putting up, I don't care if it's garbage, garbage time or, or not, if he's going to deliver the ball on time, which is what his profile suggested and what his college tape suggested, I think Nico Collins might be a legit wide receiver three with, with some upside. Nico is averaging 20.8 fantasy points through two games right now. And it wasn't just a blowout blow up today. Uh, he led the team in targets with 11 just last week. So it's been consistent so far. Also, I think you would agree, Josh, that Stroud is playing much better than his box score suggests. To not throw a pick through two games on these dropbacks is actually amazing given how much duress he's been under. Um, obviously, a completely different offense than the immense first-round talent he was surrounded by at Ohio State. Did have two fumbles today, lost one, but I'm, I'm with you. Like In Ohio State, it was, other than that Georgia game and maybe one other, it was tough to find like a ton of games where he was pressured. And so mm -hmm. there just weren't more, many instances of where he had to win, climbing the pocket, escaping it outside of structure. You already see through week one of the preseason when he was asked to do that to where he is right now, there's been a really large development. Like he isn't, you know, a veteran in that regard yet, fully matured in that area yet, but there is progression there and, and he is willing to do it and willing to make things happen outside the play. And yeah, I mean, the placement is still there for the vast majority of time. And so just unfortunately, man, they are missing four stars along their offensive line. And there's been a ton of investment there. And that's going to greatly impact Damian Pierce at 15 carries for 31 yards at another three targets on top of that. So it's 18 opportunities. Like what more can we ask for with like Devin Singletary barely getting anything? Mike Boone being inactive in this game. It's just, so much of rushing success goes to if the team is competitive in game scripts and if the offensive line is good, even if Damian Pearson individual is good. And those two factors are just bottoming out for us right now with Damian Pearson. Uh, although I'm encouraged about out-touching Devin Singletary 17-5, to five, yes, this is most likely how majority of Damian Pierce's games will finish behind this offensive line. Yeah, it's really unfortunate. Vikings versus Eagles. Our last game that we all watched, Thursday Night Football, Philadelphia Eagles 34, Minnesota Vikings 28, 2-0 versus now 0-2. Hayden, you want to kick off anything with like Jalen Hurts or is the conversation just around DeAndre Swift going 28 carries for 175 yards and one touchdown? Something feels a little bit off with Jalen Hurts in the, the past game, taking four sacks a little bit uncharacteristic for, for Jalen Hurts. But even then, he still gets two rushing touchdowns. Uh, is going to finish as a fantasy quarterback one, even though it doesn't feel right. Devonta Smith is the one that gets home against a very porous Vikings defense. But really, the story was DeAndre Swift and just more credit to where the Eagles are winning. And that's in the front office right now. And the coaching staff, DeAndre Swift, instead of just running it up the middle, almost all of his carries or to the perimeter where DeAndre Swift, you know, doesn't have to worry about the vision, doesn't have to worry about breaking through contact. He can just run around it. So credit to DeAndre Swift. Obviously, that comes without Kenny Gainwell. I do think that this will be a rotation between those two, even uh, without Gainwell. Rashad Penny only gets 
three touches here. So I, I think it was a sloppy game for the Eagles, but when you refresh, they're two and zero, and I do think that they're going to ride the ship out. I would be really surprised if AJ Brown does not have a couple of huge games moving forward. And if that's the way they're going to play defense against you weekly, then of course that's how you play offense against them. It's not fun to watch. I get that. But if Ryan Flores refuses to change and he's still dropping everyone back, then we're just going to take six yards per carry. We're going to make football unwatchable. That's totally fine. We'll do that every single week. Dagle, put the Eagles running back room into context for the rest of the way. How would you look at it? I don't know how you ignore if you are this coaching staff, DeAndre Swift's performance on Thursday. Um, And that's me trying to slow play it because, again, giving Kenneth Gainwell 82% of backfield touches in week one speaks volumes. But also Kenneth Gainwell had one touch that went over 10 yards. Like Mm -hmm. you have to take notice that DeAndre Swift was just exploding. So so I I would have to say right now Swift and then Gainwell – and then Scott, um, obviously Penny, even with Scott suffering a concussion in the second half, didn't touch the ball. Uh, just not someone they were taking serious in usage. So that's how I'll rank them right now. But it'll be interesting to see when Gamewell comes back because I don't think they just simply move away. Yeah, I think how I would phrase it is DeAndre Swift is the back that I would want the most of this group by the rest far. Of the season by far. Sure. But sure, I also don't ability. think that yeah. DeAndre Swift is locked in for another game of over 20 touches Agreed. the rest of the season either. Like, if Boston Scott did not leave this game, I highly doubt that DeAndre Swift ends with 28 carries, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's pretty clear that there's a lot of money in the bank left over for Kenny Gainwell with this coaching staff. Um, and we still don't have, like, th- like, for example, I bet DeAndre Swift wouldn't have gotten that goal line carry if Boston Scott was healthy right so yeah look it was a roundabout way that we got to it at the start of the summer i felt that deandre swift was a bit overvalued by the end of it he was extremely undervalued and we were drafting him accordingly uh and i think again the easiest way to say it and conclude is that swift is the one that i would want but i don't think any of them are going to have like a 20 touch obviously flow for each game and that's predictable I will say Eagles defense right now is super banged up and they were extremely uh, uninjured last year. And I think they lost some pieces in this off season as well. If the Eagles defense isn't as good as what we saw Kirk Cousins light this defense up, that's good news for all of the Eagles players, yeah. uh, including Jalen Hurts. Fourth quarter. And, and since the Eagles 2022 by a span of 16 games now, including the playoffs, uh, Devonta Smith and AJ Brown have, 130 targets each. In other words, there is standalone value. This is not like Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. This is AJ Brown and Devonta Smith, 1A, 1B. Take your pick who pops off. All right. Quickly on the Vikings end. I mean, Alexander Madison goes eight for 28. I think this team just understands they can't really run the ball at all. And Madison isn't a back who creates on his own. He had a long run of seven here. Maybe other than just Jefferson, which you know is just impactful every single week. The conversation shifts to Jordan Addison started this game win two wide receiver sets but then immediately seeded that over to kj osborne but in back-to-back weeks to open his season we have jordan addison with like a 39 yard touchdown and a 62 yard touchdown we said it in his draft profile that at the very least what he's going to offer during his rookie year is vertical playmaking because his ball tracking and downfield separation skills are awesome but 
it has to be just a matter of time before he is locked into this team in two wide receiver sets. It's not there yet, but I think it's really pleasing that even when he's third among all routes and all snaps, he is still producing. And so it's getting you by, even if you're starting him in those situations. And now they have a long week to get to week three, which could be the time to groom Jordan Addison in there. But even in this role, man, like, Kirk Cousins is going to drop back a ton because, like Daigle said, the Vikings defense is struggling. Their run game is even worse than their defense somehow. So Kirk Cousins, who was playing extremely well here again, he's going to put up numbers. And once Jordan Addison is a full-time player in this offense, it's going to be hard for me to not rank him inside the top 24 with some room to grow if he's really good at the game. So uh look out for jordan addison if you can buy low on him i do think it is appropriate it's probably gonna be hard to do because he's because of these long touchdowns but the snaps are coming hawkinson also 15 catches through two games um we still would like more explosiveness his his depth of target now 2.8 and four yards because basically like we saw when he was traded for he only runs shallow routes for this team and allows jordan addison and justin jefferson to go deep so they're like it's still a limited ceiling for Hawkinson here. But when you're getting that much volume because this offensive line is so bad, you just get fed every single week. Our, our eyes should be on tight ends who are playing the Philadelphia Eagles right now because they're linebacker injuries and safety injuries. It's uh, it's becoming a problem for them to yeah. defend at this moment. With the Vikings, left tackle, center, right tackle, all banged up right now. So that's something that's going to be good. Like the Damian, Damian Pierce, Alexander Madison, it's a Spider-Man meme right now. Like, <laughs> what are you going to do? All right. Uh, three more games that we did not fully watch, but let's ask some questions on them to conclude this. Commanders versus Broncos. Washington at halftime, 14 points. Denver Broncos, 21 points. But in the end, the Commanders improved to 2-0 and beat now the 0-2 Sean Payton, Russell Wilson-led Denver Broncos 35-233, despite a Hail Mary at the end to potentially take it to overtime. Sean Payton is on the wrong end of a no-call defensive pass interference. Maybe we start with the Broncos here because 21 points in the first half. This is the best we have seen this Russell Wilson-led offense through now a season plus two games look. Yet he finishes like bottoming out there in the second half and third and fourth quarters. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but in the end, it's 308 yards and three touchdowns does take seven sacks does take seven sacks. And it seems like just nothing could happen positively in the final two quarters. Yeah. I want to watch this one. He does at least run for 56 yards. So that shows him like showing a little bit more explosiveness, like as an athlete, but like the Sean Payton working with Russell Wilson's going to be a little bit of work in progress here. And of course, like all the yards go to Marvin Mims, who is a part-time player just happens to get deep down the field. Brandon Johnson is on the receiving end of that hail Mary attempt, but Corlin Sutton and Jerry Judy, the guys that we actually drafted, were basically shut out. Corlin Sutton, 66 yards. Jerry Judy, 25 yards in his return. What also caught my eye just on the ground game is Jaleel McLaughlin, who just comes out of nowhere at running back, gets the first uh, opportunity inside the red zone, converts it for a touchdown, and then just like doesn't get another opportunity in this game. I don't know what what that's all about, but that seemed real, uh, scripted because Benjamin Albright, who covers the Broncos, was like, uh, taking victory laps on like that this was going to happen. So this is like another one of these like Sean Payton like has his I'm guys. Playing my guys and like Jaleel McLaughlin might be one of those guys. Uh, but yeah, it's just going to be really inconsistent. The the deep passes happen to get home in this game, but like I'm sure if you looked at like the success rates for this offense, it was probably very low. 
They are clicking, though. This will be the second week in a row the Broncos finished top 10 and rate of touchdowns on their possessions. Like, they're they're still driving the field, although in week one they had a league-low six drives. They're still driving the field and finishing with points. Um, it's so funny because they still refuse to play Marvin Mims. He runs, as Hayden mentioned, seven routes in this game. Seven wow. routes and finished with a 100 yard on his two catches on seven routes. Very clearly a player. They just need to find a way to get him more involved um also we now have four starts for russell wilson without nathaniel hackett and including this week week two when as of now he's a qb3 in fantasy football russell Wilson has been a top 12 quarterback in all four of those starts without nathaniel hackett um the trend is starting to show something different especially if they continue finding playmakers we also featured in this game the number one scoring wide receiver or running back or tight end in week two in half point PPR. And that is Brian Robinson with 27.9 yeah. points. He goes 18 carries, 87 yards, two scores, adds two catches for 42 yards on three targets on top of it. I've said this before. He is the new David Montgomery that the public hates. They always want him replaced. This year he was drafting Antonio Gibson over him. And Gibson gets, by the way, two carries for nine yards, does add three catches for 44 yards. But coaches like him, he gets opportunities, and he's going to score a touchdown nearly every single week. And here we are once again with Brian Robinson being a major factor in your fantasy football lineups, and I absolutely love it. Since Antonio Gibson fumbled in the second quarter of week one, Brian Robinson has outtouched him 35-5. to Also, I think something to look for moving forward is perhaps this Broncos defense being in shambles because we not only had the Raiders putting up points, um, top seven rate and touchdown rate on their seven drives in week one, but also 35 points allowed the commanders here. And remember in week one, they blitzed at the league's third highest rate and they finished with a league low pressure rate. Mm -hmm. And Russell Wilson here, who never runs the ball, Josh, we talk about this all the time, how he's lost his legs to have seven scrambles in this game. Like, Maybe we should be looking here, uh, or Sam Howell as well, to to lead this team with nearly 300 passing yards. Like Maybe it's something we should be looking at targeting the Broncos' defense every week moving forward. Yeah, they lost a lot of uh, front seven defenders the last couple offseasons. Yeah, Bradley Chubb, trade away. Draymond Jones lost yep. this offseason. Yeah, it's, it's one to watch. And Terry McLaurin, still dealing with an injury came down with an awesome vertical pass for a touchdown that went for 30 yards. Cause he doesn't score anything inside of this 20 yard, but hopefully by the way, Logan Thomas is healthy. Yeah. Uh, Kareem Jackson got kicked out of this game for, I mean, just a, 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 a ridiculous hit straight to the helmet yeah. when Logan Thomas is coming down with the catch. I am looking on my radar, something to monitor. I don't know if it's predictive or not with the enemy calling plays. All of a sudden the commanders have like, it looks like about 12, different players catching passes nobody is breaking away when it comes to targets that's a trend that we saw with kansas city it's not the same exact offense but something to at least monitor yeah i need more Jahan dotson in my life giants versus cardinals one comeback to another this new york giants team had to have this one and in the second half they score 31 points after losing by 20 at halftime Outscore again the Arizona Cardinals 31 to 8 in the second half and finally went at 31 to 28. I didn't watch this for a single second. Hopefully, some of you did because in the end, Daniel Jones goes 26 of 37, 321, two touchdowns. And Saquon Barkley, before leaving with somewhat of a serious leg or ankle injury, goes 17 carries, 63 yards, one touchdown, 
full get off me mode in the receiving game for six receptions, 29 yards, and a score on top of that. It was Jalen Hyatt working downfield, 58-yard catch, um, and then it was Saquon Barkley looking like an absolute freak until that injury. But I think we have to start there. It's one of the biggest fantasy storylines of the week. I'm sure Daigle at 4 for 4 is going to be talking about this on the waiver wires. Matt Breida was the guy that they signed for this number two role. It seems like he's going to be the guy after the training camp. Things like Gary Brightwell also competing there, yeah. but Breida is going to be the guy, but it's just not going to be the same exact offense. Saquon Barkley was giving him so much after contact in this game really tough to see but it looks like it's a classic high ankle sprain was not able to put oh. too much weight on it i think he got carded to get x-rays it's not a good sign when you're getting x-rays and most running backs if it is a high ankle sprain and saquon barkley we've unfortunately seen this a couple times before you miss like about a month of the season if it's a true high ankle sprain and then you're ineffective when it does come back and it's a really really tough look because i thought saquon barkley was going to be on pace for like a top five fantasy finish and right now it's looking pretty dire, not just for him, but I think that he's such a huge part of this offense. They need like I, guys like Isaiah Hodgins to really step up. It just can't be all Darren Waller in the past game now. Eric Gray, their day three rookie, was also inactive for this game. So lots to shake out over the next 48 hours. But right now, yes, obviously very serious. Um, for Daniel Jones, though, this is double-digit carries in back-to-back games. It's kind of what we wanted as that mid-round quarterback on underdog, and he certainly delivered in that tier. Here we go. Here's some stats from Daniel Jones in this game. We asked if he could push the ball down the field because last year he had the lowest A dot in the league. Daniel Jones had more than two-thirds of his passing yards come off play action. He averaged 12.1 air yards per attempt using play action compared to 5.1 without a play fake. As you mentioned, I'm sure that Jalen Hyatt bomb uh, started that one. I do see... I have to call it out. Eight targets, six receptions, 76 yards for Darren, Darren Waller. Did we get some of that gold standard usage from D-dubs and led the team in routes run. So it was out there as an every down tied in. Okay. Cardinals end. I mean, James Conner was the workhorse early on <laughs> 23 carries, 106 yards, one score. Even Joshua Dobbs was making plays in both the rushing and the throwing game. 228, one touchdown uh, added, I think another rushing score on top of that. Yes, he did for 41 yards. But then, like, if your team's just not talented, you are susceptible to comebacks. Like we saw with the Indianapolis Colts last season, right? In one of those massive ones, and we get it here this time, too. I mean, this is the perfect game for the Arizona Cardinals, though, right? Like, you've got some flashes from some young guys. James Conner, the leader of the locker room, gets home with all of his touches, and then you end up taking an L uh, to stay on track for Caleb Williams. Like, this is how the Cardinals want to have all of their games go. But it's at least... You can see Arizona Cardinals at least looking somewhat functional on offense here, and Marquise Brown was able to get home on team high, 10 targets to find the end zone. And I, I cannot overstate how important this was for the Giants, by the way, Daigle. Like, they had to have this one. Like, if their season was going to be anything, because after it, it's the 49ers, the Seahawks, the Dolphins, and the Bills. Like, easily 0-6 was on the radar, and at least now maybe you're 1-5. And they did it without Andrew Thomas, who was late scratched at left tackle. So the fact they can move the ball and put up this type of offense without basically a starting NFL offensive line does continue to give us hope. Also, a little bit of hope here. Uh, Zach Ertz now 76 receiving yards on 18 targets. That's hope. 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 No. no. But – but he leads all tight ends with a 27% target share. No, so what are you going to no, do? You can't stop care. Zach Ertz. You can only no, hope I'm, to contain I'm, I'm not doing it. I don't care <laughs> if he has the highest target share oh, for hope. the next six weeks. I'm not doing it. Hopeless. Do just not doing it. Mm-hmm.
Raiders versus Bills. We'll close with this one because the Bills dominate the Raiders 38 to 10. They get back on track. And it's all the people we want to see. Josh Allen throws for three touchdowns, 37 passing attempts. James Cook, 17 carries for 123 yards. Another 36 receiving yards and four catches on top of that. Gabe Davis goes 92 and a touchdown. The roller coaster wins this one. Stefan Diggs, seven catches. And even Don Kincaid, six targets, five receptions, 43 yards. This is exactly how I kind of expect the Bills offense to look the whole season. I think the Jets, that game is going to be an anomaly for this. James Cook, really explosive in the ground game, but lets the red zone opportunities go Damian Harris and Latavius Murray's way, and that's going to keep him out of RB1 uh, or RB2 upside discussions. But he will have games like this where utilized in the uh, – between the twenties and catches some passes. Gabe Davis is going to do this. And then next week people are going to complain that I started him as like a top 30 fantasy wide receiver. And then Dalton Kincaid, I think will end up looking a lot like this five catches, 43 yards, but exciting to see the bills look like this. Like the NFL needs an offense as boom bust as the bills are, but really they're going to have some inter- uh, some turnovers. But when you really refresh it, their EPA is going to be the best in the league. Allen actually started this game with 13 consecutive completions. Um, but I think the real story is on the other side of the ball because yeah. even though no one else is touching the rock in the backfield through two games, Josh Jacobs has turned his 28 carries into 46 rushing yards. Ooh. It has been absolutely miserable. And again, you don't get last year's fantasy points. That's not how this works. So uh, still very, very worried about him. His negative two rushing yards in this game, because yes, he finished with negative two rushing yards, were the fewest by a reigning rushing champion since 1950. That's how bad he was in this game. Um, maybe they'll continue to look elsewhere, but since Devontae Adams left late in the game and they were playing Christian Wilkerson over Hunter Renfro to start because McDaniels is just playing his guys and Hunter Renfro, although they didn't cut him or try to trade him, he's not part of his guys. I don't know where else they go from here. I will say Josh Jacobs helps us in the receiving game, which he showed last year too. Yep. Gets five receptions for 51. But like, man, I don't, I didn't watch this game. I'd be very curious why he just is so unsuccessful in the ground game. I'm sure it's just the blocking is so much worse this year, but like that's, well, that's miserable. I'm looking at play volume. They had 24 dropbacks in 15 carries this game. That is 30, no sacks. That is 39 plays on offense. And I think part of the reason is the Josh Jacobs, kills the clocks up the middle and they're not going to get that many explosive plays. They don't have explosive players. The Devontae Adams, it does look like a a concussion. It's probably 50, 50 to play next week at best right now. Um, Same thing with uh, Jacoby Myers. So it's going to be looking real thin for the Raiders. I would not be surprised if Josh Jacobs got another six plus targets. Final point. It goes back to James cook. I'm a big fan, but I am totally with you that, this usage of Damian Harris getting an inside the 10-yard line touchdown, Latavius Murray getting an inside the 10-yard line touchdown prevents him from having a top 12 season, even if he is attached to an explosive offense or even potentially a top 15 overall season because he can be super explosive, 123 yards on 17 carries, get all the receiving work as you want, and that can keep him as a you know running back 16, 17, heck, running mm-hmm. back 14, 15. But in order to be thrusted, you have to have you have to score touchdowns. And it's just not going to happen here because two players are taking those away from him right now. 
a lot of it came in the final quarter. Um, he had a very explosive run that put him over 100 yards. But yeah, it's like you said, Josh, at the end of the day, James Cook doesn't have a single carry inside the five-yard line in his career. It's as simple as that. Yeah. All right. That's it. We did it. Once again, we go an hour and a half. Um, Daigle, before we get out of here, people can sign up for 444. They can check out your work. It's great stuff. Um, anything else you want to say before we get out of here? Waiver wire is the oh, yes. big ticket picture that comes out every Monday afternoon. And last week we started out great. Uh, Puka, of course, that's obvious, number one. But I was very adamant in the call. You can go back and check my work on Kyron Williams over both Justice Hill and Josh Kelly. And well so done. far, amazing. So those are the kind of decisions we're trying to make weekly. So we'll be back Monday. I'm sure I'll have some thoughts on the Giants backfield. And you can use the promo code Daigle, my last name, very easy to remember, for 25% off. And again, it's not monthly fee. It's literally annual. So you get it. It's already too cheap. Use the promo code Daigle, and you get it for the rest of the year. There you go. It's in the description down below. Yeah, we'll come out with Stats versus Film on Tuesdays. After we review all the stuff that has happened, be on the lookout for it. Shout out to Producer Weaves. Shout out to Steve for all the voiceovers. Shout out to all of you for subscribing. Long season. Up the bell. We'll talk to you all soon. See ya.